Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. And today is Friday, June 16th, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 55, the fifth paragraph, which starts, in this book, and in this book you will read, and you are going to read through seven paragraphs, ending with, to his maker, then he knew. We're going to comment on all. Today's readers are Tenzin P on the 12 Steps of OA, Lorraine W, OA's 12 Traditions, and our readers of the text this morning are Linda D, Lauren N, and waiting in the wings is Marietta P. The reference number for yesterday, Thursday, June 15th, are for the 7 a.m., 10,043, 10043, and for the 10 a.m. on June 15th, 10,045, 10045. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And now I will ask Tenzin P to get us started by reading the 12 steps. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. Tenzin P. calling from New York, recovering compulsive overeater. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food and compulsive overeating, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 
five admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tenzin P. And now, Lorraine W., I will ask to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. This is Lorraine W. from Pennsylvania, recovered. Can I be heard? Absolutely. Okay. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are the trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lorraine W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. 
Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. And today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 55, the fifth paragraph, that's the last paragraph there. In this book you will read, and you're going to read through seven paragraphs ending near the end of page 57 with, to his maker, then he knew. And you can comment on all. We still have the three-minute time limit, though. And I'm going to ask Linda D. to get us started. Good morning, Linda. Linda, just press star one. Good morning. This is Linda D. Can I be heard? Yes. Wonderful. Good morning. Thank you. Linda D., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from North Carolina. In this book you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. Business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. One night, when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he, as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there's no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and the majesty of a great tide as flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later, no later vicissitude has, shake, has shaken it. 
His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night, years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned, and at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God had restored his sanity. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Let's set my timer. Oh, my timer went off. Someone else I does. got it. I got, okay, it. I got it. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, hi, Linda D. from North Carolina. This is a beautiful story um, of a, um, an alcoholic who had a spiritual experience. And um, I've learned in my work with my sponsor and with other um, recovered people that there is a spiritual experience and there's something called a spiritual awakening and that they're a little different. That they're very different. This describes um, a spiritual experience and it was an overwhelming hit you in the head suddenly in a moment kind of thing. And a lot of us wait for that. I waited for that a long time. I had something like that when I was young uh, in church, but um, I, at the time I thought that it was, after a while I thought that it was just me being uh, suggestible. <laughs> Maybe it was in, in the right way. Um, but I want to speak now to um, the idea that uh, I had that if I didn't have this, maybe I wasn't getting it. And and that is simply just not it. And if this might be a good place to remind us that in the back of the book, on page 567, there's a section called spiritual experience. And since spiritual experience is in this, um, these paragraphs, it pays to take a look at this again. And this is a section that we look at over and over, over and over. Um, and it says that while many of us have had this sort of thing, that um, many, gives many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals, like described here. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. Okay, so what I want to say for those who may be new or are wondering about themselves, it doesn't happen like that for everyone. It happens, uh, some of us talk about having the occasional variety, uh, the educational variety. And also, um, I've been in a period of my life really quickly where I've been atheist, uh, agnostic, close to atheist, and the God stuff bothered me. It bothered me. What I would just implore us to do is, you know, Take those words that bother you and think of them as generalities. All we need to understand about being in the room, all we need to understand about a higher power to, to benefit from being in the rooms with each other is that, that we're not it. I know that I'm not it. And when I admitted that, pieces of truth started to come into my life. And that's all I needed to get a start. So with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Linda D. Who else would like to comment? Barbara R. Rose Barbara M. E. Harlan G. Julie. Julie R. Okay. Hold, hold on. I just suddenly, usually I'm so sharp here. I, <laughs> I think I've got everybody, but I'm not sure here. Wait a minute. Julie and Charlie and um, Charlie, forgive me. Charles H. 
Carolyn. And there are two other ladies, two voices. Who else was that? Amy G. Amy G. Barbara, Amy, Julie, Charles, Carolyn. Judith R. Judith R. All right, let's go with, this is a nice little group. Barbara, then Amy, Julie, Charles H., Harlan G., and Judith R. Good morning, Barbara. Please go ahead. Good, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad I got to speak. When I came into OA almost 21 years ago, I came for a diet. I didn't need to lose, I, pardon me, I needed to lose weight and keep it off. Countless doctors had assured me of the dire necessity, plus it was impeding my mobility, my interaction with my children, my family, my friends, and my professional life. But what I didn't think I needed was the big book 12-step program. I didn't think I needed that. I didn't believe that there was a God of some sort who would and could help me to get and maintain my weight goals. I didn't need or want mental or spiritual experience. In that area, I was absolutely smart enough to help myself. That was me 20 years ago. So I wasn't going to say prayers. I wasn't going to meditate. I wasn't going to ask a higher power for assistance. But as the years went by and I saw visible proof and changes in a variety of members at my face-to-face meeting, and I heard their stories, first in private, because we didn't talk about it in our face-to-face group, that uh, because it only focused on the tools, and then as in more recent years, actually during the course of the meeting, they came out, if you will, I came to want what they claimed they had. I didn't think that there would be a uh, startling awakening for me. I didn't think that. I didn't expect to be rocketed to the fourth dimension, as some of them claimed in the early years. And that's what made me skeptical that that could even happen for me. But I did want serenity and tolerance and honesty. And I wasn't that person. So I simply said to myself, what do you have to lose, Barbara? Your way isn't working. You're you're not binging on food. You have no craving, but you're mean-spirited. You're dishonest. You're self-seeking. And it's glaringly obvious, at least to my family. So why not give it a try? Pray in the morning. Pray at night. Sometimes I might mean it. Sometimes I wouldn't mean it. But follow the program. Get a compassionate, caring, passionate teacher slash sponsor to guide me through it and see what would happen. Maybe there would be changes. Cast aside my skepticism. Even if I take three steps forward and two steps back, at least I'm moving forward. I'm not stagnating. And I'm grateful to my fellow OAers who are pointing me in the right direction every single way. And I do believe today 
a profound belief that there is a spirit of the universe, a God, if you will, that will open his arms and welcome me as long as I'm willing to take action, action, action. And oh, continue, oh, I'm sorry. And continue to search diligently, diligently within myself. Apologize for going over. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks very much, Barbara E. Amy G., you are up. Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Thank you for your service and definitely time me as well. I don't have a timer on my phone. Okay. No, I'm so grateful that someone mentioned uh, earlier about, you know, the variety of spiritual experiences that are listed in the back of the big book. And I, too, wanted to be just struck over the head and struck abstinent. As a matter of fact, my first sponsor that I chose, I chose for that very reason because she had a similar experience to the story we just read. And I thought, great. No effort on my part to strike me abstinent, but that's not really the way it works. And we've been in this chapter of We Agnostics and studying about this idea of a spiritual remedy for our disease, for to recover from our disease and the idea of faith. And for me, you know, faith isn't a feeling. It's, it's a reality. It's, it's based on the results of my, tr- my choosing to trust. And when that happens, you know, faith becomes something as a, an action step. You know, I make a decision in step two, and then I take action in step three by turning my will and my life over. For me, faith is an action. It becomes a belief when I take the action necessary. And as someone just mentioned, you know, I had to be willing to take those action steps to say, look, okay, I'm not it. I'm not, I'm not, I can't fix myself, and I now need help. So show me the way. And then that experience transforms through the process of working the steps. I came to a belief through my action steps. I had faith through those action steps. My faith came to be through those action steps. And it's repeated over and over and over again that it doesn't matter how we get started as long as we are willing to get started. I mean, it says in this reading that circumstances made him ready in such a way. Well, I can tell you the circumstances of my compulsive world reading sure as hell made me ready beaten into a state of reasonableness and willingness, I knew that I was at the end of the road, the end of the street, that was it. I had to take some action. I had to do something different because what I was doing was killing me. And that willingness was the beginning of my action towards a new faith, towards a new belief. But I had to be willing to take that leap. I had to be willing to say, show me the way. And in those who had had recovered, they did exactly that through these 12 steps. If I can do it, you can do it. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Amy G. Uh, Julie and then Harlan. Go ahead. Good morning. Hi. Thank you. This is Julie R. Recovered in uh, California. You know, the first thing is, who are you to say there is no God? Um, You know, I mean, I live in the foothills where there's valleys and lakes and canyons. You know, something had to create this. And I was always so centered on Julie. Poor me my childhood, all the harms, on and on and on, that I couldn't see, you know, the forest through the trees, so to speak. And when you hear the story about the spiritual experience, you know, I had like many ones, but mine was more that awakening. I have so many things underlined in this, but one of them, when it talks about he stepped from the bridge to shore for the first time, he lived in a conscious companionship with his creator. And then it goes on to say that that's the cornerstone, right? So what's the cornerstone? Well, that's that first stone that's put down that will set all other stones upon a strong foundation. 
And so what is that? That's my, my conscious contact. That's my relationship with this God that I never really wanted to trust because I was waiting for the shoe to drop. And once I was able to say, you know what? I don't, can't figure this out. I'm not in control. That's when my surrender came. And then I was able to have that entire absence. Well, I had the entire absence before, but it was gradual as far as my awakening with my conscious contact with God. And then it says that God had restored his sanity. Well, you know, that's telling me that, you know, at one time in my life, and it might have been my first three months as an infant, I was sane. I didn't have the set of, of ideas and thoughts and actions and behaviors that I've had as active in the disease. So I'm restored to sanity. That means I have that right mind. So that's free from being in control. It's free from being an animal with food. It's free from always wanting to be right. It's free from being dishonest. All of those isms too, spending, sex, whatever. It's like once I have that relationship with my creator or whatever I want to call it, then I can sit there and I can look at myself every day and did I measure up to what my God would want me to do? And it's only through living the steps. You know, I'll have people will call me and say, how's your program? Program and life are synonymous. There's no separation. I try to live a God-filled life, not in, you know, going to church sense, but inside me, that barometer, am I on my red road or am I on the edges? You know, food is not the issue. I mean, that's down. It's been down. No food thoughts. No nothing. It's like, how did I act today? Did I act in a manner that showed that I have the strong relationship with my creator? You know, am, am I giving and receiving the things that I should be? And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Julia. Harlan, you're next, followed by Judith R. Thank you very much. And it's Harlan G. I'm from Scottsdale, Arizona. I want to thank Team Friday uh, for making this meeting possible. This morning, we're discussing Fitz Mayo and his story. Fitz was from Maryland. He was the son of an Episcopal minister, and his dad gave him what he called an overdose of religious exposure. And Fitz had had enough of this God thing. Oh, he had had just enough of it. And I had had enough of it as a child, too. I attended religious school, but I looked around, and my mom hated my dad, and my dad hated my mom. And we lived in tremendous dysfunction. They showed their disdain for one another with pots and pans flying through the air lit cigarettes flying through the air at each other, and they said things to each other you wouldn't say to your worst enemy. And I'm growing up in this, and I'm a fat kid, and people are talking to me about this God, and I just didn't want to hear about it anymore. I was in physical pain. I was in emotional pain. I had been affected by this disease from the moment I was born. Everything seemed to go south for me, and I had a lot of self-pity and a lot of jealousy as a child. I looked around at people and saw that they were thin, and I saw that they could eat a half an Oreo cookie, and they were good for the day, and I couldn't understand why. And then one day in my life, somebody said to me, you're going to have to work step two. And I said, I don't want to work step two. And we went round and round and round, and this very wise person said to me, How's your way working for you? 
Could you be willing, could you be willing or could you now believe that there is a power greater than yourself? And I had to say, yes. There had to be a power greater than myself. And I had to say to myself, if there is a God, he hasn't done anything for me. But later on, I looked around and the faith didn't come to me in a lightning bolt. The faith came to me after I took action after action after action that I saw other people taking, and then the faith came. I had the cart before the horse, and I have, for the last many years, this conscious companionship with my Creator, and it serves me, and it helps me every single day. I am a believer that two and ten are the most underutilized steps, and three and four are the most misunderstood. This is about Fitzmaya, one of the giants on whose shoulders we climb on every time we come to a meeting. He wanted an overdose of Christian doctrine in the book, and they said, no way. We're going to uh, Bill, uh, Bill Wilson and Jimmy Burwell, his good friend who was an atheist, whose story is also in this book, said, no way. And so the compromise was on to God as we understand God. Fitzmayo died with eight years of sobriety in 1943 from cancer, uh, but he was a very dear friend. He and his wife were very dear friends to Bill and, and uh, uh, Lois Wilson, and he is one of the giants on whose shoulders we climb on every time we come into a meeting or listen to our meeting here at Vision for You. And also his sister Agnes was the one who loaned AA the money to get the first edition, first printing books out of the printer's hands because they didn't have the money so his sister Agnes played a very important role in that. Right. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. That's enough time for me. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much, Harlan G. And Judith R., you are up. Hi. Uh, this is Linda D. I'm speaking for Judith R. She texted me and asked me just to tell, um, just to say for her that the story, and I think Harlan has, has um, mentioned it, but the story of Fitz, for those who may not know, is on page 208. Um, so there, uh, folks can read more about um, our Southern friend. And with that, I pass. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, I'm opening the lines again. Who would like to share? Charles H. Charles, okay. I'd like to Fred hear. Fred S. And Lauren N. Reva P. Wait a minute. Lauren N. Reva P. D. And there was a lady who said. No, it's me. Francine G. Say it again. Christine what? No, Francine G. Francine G. Okay, wait a minute now. Charles. BJ. BJ? Yeah. D as in David. <laughs> oh, D. DJ. Very Yeah. I've got you, Craig. Thanks. Somewhere I put you. Yes. All right. I think I have Charles H., Craig F., Francine, Lauren, Reva P., and DJ. All right. Let's start with Charles. I thought I heard you earlier, Charles, but it was... um. It must have been a memory. You, you're up. 
Uh, this is Charlie H. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I'm just listen. This is this is a bowl of cherries right here, man. Thank you. Your job. I I really respect what you have to go through, Anita J. Thank you for your loyal service. I just want to make light of the situation because, man, I know it, it, it ain't about the food today. It's about it's about a change of heart. Now I want to drill down where it says his story. Um, is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Wow, that really speaks to me. Um, and that's what I want, a change of heart, right? I can't get that change of heart by just being abstinent. So I, I, I look for that every single day. Um, you know, going home, you know, after a hard day's work and, and, and it's, it's calamity in my house, and I'm like praying in the middle of, World War Two and a half, you know, between my wife and my child. And I'm like, you know, God, come on in. You know, I invite you, God, because I can't do it, right? And and that is just so awesome, right? So who am I to say there's no God? I don't got to tell you. I don't care what your beliefs are. I think weak people have to say what their beliefs are. And uh, I am strong through my weakness, through my God, right? Because um, guess what? Um, circumstances made me willing to, to do that. I tried it my own way. And, you know, I, I was beefing with everybody, and I was the common denominator in all of that. So when I turned to you guys, it became we, and the problem became lesser, right? I can't get to this. Like, I, if, if, I'm, if I can't work this program unless the substance is 100% down, I can't. Like, so things are going to happen, circumstances around me, but I can invite God into all my affairs, and things just seem to work out. You know, I don't care what happens because I know God's going to take care of me because the change of heart in Charlie H. is different today. You know, it ain't that important that, you know, I'm in the first round. I'll get in there. There's two more meetings, and it's always Sunday. It's always Monday, you know. I relapse every single day because of that change of heart. I turn back into a pumpkin at 12.01. So I got to get this medicine one day at a time. And Anita J., I love you. Thank you for your service. And you are so beautiful inside and out. Thank you. I pass. Thanks so much. I'm a, I don't know what to call you now. But anyway, thank you. Craig F., you are up. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Oh, good. This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I'm, uh, 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 this is, of course, the story of our southern friend. And I read ahead last night to get ahead with this. And so I went ahead and read his story back on 208, too, just to uh, uh, kind of expand on it. And one of the things that strikes me is that when I when you read the story here, it, it almost it sounds like um, it says, save for a brief few moments of temptation, the drink, the thought of drink has never returned, and at such time a revulsion has risen up in him. But but other than that, it almost sounds like once he had this spiritual experience that a flock of bluebirds swooped down and you know wove him a blanket out of thin air and you know like a fairy tale, like like. You know, I think sometimes we get that impression, but when you go back and read his story, um, he, he struggled uh, with a lot of things after uh, his spiritual experience, after 
he gave up drinking and you know he he uh he struggled with depression uh, just like bill w did and he he struggled with uh uh, uh thoughts of drinking and he he found that working with others was his uh, salvation and and that shouldn't be a surprise to any of us that uh, on the on the line uh, but he also found that at one point that he realized he was playing god with the with the people he was helping and uh, uh, he struggled with that and then after that he he had cold-bloodedly he said set out to drink and uh, uh was pulled back from the brink and you know it, it isn't a spiritual experience it isn't a once and done thing he he had to have a program he struggled with the fact that he was uh, separate from he wasn't near New York. He had, he wasn't near the the fellows that had got him uh, sobered up, and he had to uh, develop his own fellowship around him. Um, you know, and so we all have struggles in this life, whether we've had a spiritual awakening or or not. And uh, that, um, but he had a he had a program. He had the basics to to handle those struggles in life. And to me, that's very very important to take note of that uh, struggles will continue to come and that we have a way out of that which is defined for us we work with others we continue we work in 10 11 and 12 we we live in 10 11 and 12 so that we continue to enlarge our spiritual life and and uh, build up some insulation against that next compulsive bite and with that I'll pass thank you thanks so much craig and francine you are up. Was there a Francine? Hello? Can you, can you hear me? Oh, can you now hear me? I can. Yes, oh, now I can. Okay. What page, please? Okay. Uh, just a minute. Francine. And what's your yes. initial? G. G. We start. Do we have seven paragraphs going here, starting at the bottom of page fifty-five? Am I supposed to read? Yes. No, you aren't. But somebody interrupted you and asked what page we oh. were on. No, oh, no, I, you, you no, share, I, please. Oh, I can share. Okay, good, good. Thank you. Yeah. I can't. Okay. Um, so I'm new. I'm not new to recovery, but I am new to a vision for you, and it's been recommended to me for quite some time. And I, I can see I'm starting to understand why. Um, I have a deep faith, and I pray a lot for others. Um, a lot of my life circumstances have brought me to my knees um, most recently, and the way I generally have um, dealt with that, uh, the pain and the, the struggles and everything like that is through food and other compulsive behaviors. And I know I'm not alone there. And um, I have such a strong faith in many areas of my life, but rarely do I ask for help for myself. And I'm really feeling like this is an opening for me to um, ask God to take care of me. And I have been asking, I've been praying, and I feel more surrounded. Um, I, I need, I need, I need that love to go inside and um, fill the void that's there that causes me to suffer and struggle and pick up food and, and other things. And um, 
I'm very grateful for this meeting. I never get up in the morning. I mean, I'm a late riser, and um, I can't even believe I'm on a seven o'clock meeting. This is that's God working because I would, I I wouldn't agree to do this on my own for sure, and um, and I'm alert and awake, which is really strange also. So. Um, I've dropped to my knees many times in surrender and um, where my faith is very, very strong when I'm out in nature and almost on a daily basis, I can have that God connection and the creation connection. Um, I just, I, I really just pray for that to surround me when I'm hurting and I don't want to pick up the food anymore. I don't want to pick up my behaviors that are compulsive. I want to, I pray for healing and I pray for healing for everyone. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Francine G. Please come back again. Um, uh, Laura Nen, followed by Reva P. Go Good ahead, morning. Laura. Can you hear me, Anita? Clearly, yes. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for this reading. Thank you for program today, which has changed my life um, one minute at a time. Um, the, The willingness to believe that I am not alone, the willingness to believe that today my life is about being around fellows and having what you all say to me make change, help me make changes in my life is so incredible. For today, I'm able and willing to be in this, the spirit of the sunlight of the spirit and to believe that I am not alone. The fear that I um, have, that has consumed my life up until now is no longer, wow, for this minute. I am so grateful for all of you and for all this whole program and for learn, being willing to be taught that I can do this one minute at a time and be in service to all of you. And to myself. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Anita. Thank you so much, Lauren, and for your share. And Reva P., you are up. Hi, good morning. It's Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Uh, Two major things struck me from the reading. First of all, these questions that are being asked. Um, For me, instead of using the words religion or God, that question about um, is it possible that the religious people I've known are wrong, to make it simple for me, I would ask myself, is it possible that the steps can work for me? Um, That's all I'm doing in step two is this need for a power that's not me. And then who are you to say there is no God? If I am approached by someone in whom the problem has been solved, somebody who's known as spiritual experience, um, who am I to say that that recovered person or all the recovered people I see are wrong, that it's not working for them when I have evidence right in front of my eyes? So to me, it's about asking, you know, who am I to say that the 12-step program doesn't work? 
um, and it's a lot simpler. Um, and the second thing that really struck me is this part that people touched on about having moments of temptation, but the thought of drink not not returning. And that reminds me, as others have shared, this is not a one-shot deal. This is a daily reprieve. I've got a you know, 24-hour battery every night. It, it's, it's uncharged. I've got to charge it up and do exactly what I did the day before um, to get the same results. But this reminds me too, I'm going to feel discomfort. I'm going to feel uncomfortable feelings. Things are not going to go my way even if I'm abstinent, life will still happen. But what this reminds me is the promise that if I'm abstinent and I work the steps, when I get agitated, when I get really uncomfortable, I need something for relief, ease and comfort. And I won't need the food because when I make the decision to take action and work the steps over and over and over, um, I get that ease and comfort through a power, whatever I want to call it, and I don't need to go to food. And that's why he says he doesn't have to go back to the drink because God restores my sanity. Um, and that is the biggest miracle um, as opposed to white-knuckled abstinence. With that, I pass. Thank you very much, Reva P. And DJ, go ahead. Hi, thank you. This is Dee in North Carolina. Um, I have not been able to be abstinent for years um, and have wished it and wanted it and danced with it and all of the above. But I found my way back through uh, my higher power. I uh, had to be, I had to um, put my faith and dependence in a power greater than me. And it was surprising the way it came to me because I've been struggling to do everything in the world except be able to put down the food. I, as we know, I'm not able to put down the food in, under my own power. And so it was um, spiritual seeking that restored me. And of course, it's not, you know, like many described in the big book and in this section, you know, the, the way we uh, encounter God can oftentimes be very, very far from the religious precepts of our upbringing or the prevailing religious norms. Um, and so th that can be confusing. For me, the experience of a power greater than myself, you know, takes, you know, takes breaking habits to some degree. Breaking, I had to break the habit of just looking inside of myself for answers uh, because the self doesn't hold them. The self, myself, tells me to pick up the food and not rely on a thing larger than my ego or my will to have in the moment relief. You know, that that's the food, in effect, the food is the God. And um, so uh, I was in seeking God in the last two or three days been given relief from my compulsive eating. And I'm very grateful. 
and I'm grateful to be reading this uh, this section today and hearing experience, strength, and hope about how to get through a day without using the drug. And um, the more I use the drug, the more my life problems don't get looked at or solved. And the more I don't look at or solve life's issues, the more they have to come and beat me over the head with a sledgehammer, which really hurts. And I don't want any more sledgehammer. So with that, I'll pass. And thank you. Thanks so much, DJ, for sharing. And we have time for two or three more. Janice M. Janice Rita M. Okay, wait a minute. I think we have them. Um, Janice and Melissa, but there was someone in the middle, somebody K. Rita. Rita K. Rita, Rita K. All right. I think we could get you three in. Janice M., good morning. And good morning to you, Miss E. Anita J. This is Janice M. Um, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and thank you for your service. Yeah. You know, I came into this program exhausted. I mean, really exhausted from trying to do all the things that I thought that I could solve this problem. You know, I did have my, I did have a faith when I was a child, but I was diverted from it because of, you know, thinking in adolescence that I had all the answers, you know, because I did have some religious training, and I was fairly honest, so I thought, fairly tolerant, you know, ambitious and hardworking, and so it was very hard for me to think otherwise, that my thoughts were, I can do this thing, you know, I'm an intellectual, self-sufficient person, well, how did that work for you, Janice? It didn't. It didn't. So I was always striving, striving. But before, you know, I was never rethinking in my mind, like this story is really all about this this particular guy, Fitz, that is going to, he says, he thought, he thought he was an atheist, thought. See, so the thought comes before any change in action. So he thought he was an atheist, like I thought I was like maybe God. Oh, however, I thought that I could fix my problems. And of course, food was always my companion. And then as I grew into my disease, then money became my companion. And then, of course, success became my companion. And of course, those things, you know, were taken away from me through my own actions. It was never enough. But this man had a dramatic, that's what I love, it's a dramatic convincing and moving change of heart, which means he, his thinking was changed. He was rethinking. And that's what happened to me. There was nothing else for me to do or, or come to or any method of a solution that I came to a, a OA. So, and this is a second step. I did not change, rethink, I did not change all my thinking. It wasn't restored in, in, in step two, but I started with a little, little willingness to believe, don't be so defiant, Janice. Don't be so rebellious. Try it, try it. So with that rethinking, that littleness of willing to believe, then the action came, the decision came, the action came, and guess what? I, uh, a new relationship with the God of my understanding came through. It, he was revealed to me, and he is my companion. 
what a, what, a, what a wonderful thing to know that you have a companion that's always with you. And I don't need that food because that wasn't a good companion for me. It left me. It didn't do me any good. So this is what's going to happen to all of us when we do these steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Anita. Thanks. Thanks so much, Janice. Rita Kay, go ahead, please. Good morning. This is Rita Kay from the Kansas City area. I'm a grateful, uh, recovering, compulsive overeater. The thing that jumped out at me today on the reading was when he asked the question, who am I, you know, and I've read that before, but I think it's because of the discussion that I've been having lately with my own past, and I grew up in a religious home, very religious, you know, and so when I came into the rooms years years ago, you know, all the talk of higher power and everything, I, I realized years later how arrogant, you know, I was, you know, and, you know, feeling like that that what I had or what I grew up with, like, was the only way or this is what you're supposed to call your higher power. And I didn't openly criticize people, but, you know, I think I kept that within, you know. So, hence, I was in and out of the rooms, in and out of the rooms, but, you know, always eventually came back. And as a recent returnee, and what I have been through in the last few years is a growth in not my religion, but a growth in my spirituality. And, you know, when you open, when I have opened myself up to a growth in spirituality, it's like my heart has exploded in just being open to whatever people say. Because first of all, and so that's why I asked my question, who am I to either, you know, be critical or to have something to say about what someone else says or what someone else believes? Because this disease is killing me, it's killing us. And, you know, and that's why the 12 steps are written the way they are so that so that there's room, you know, there's room for people to come with your beliefs, you know, with your belief system. And so spirituality has opened my heart, and, and I use the word exploded, you know, it's opened my heart to be able to allow myself to live and let live and to be able to allow other people in the room to live and let live. I love that AA slogan, and I have embraced it recently. So, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much. Melissa, you've got a minute and a half. Can you share? Hi. I'll be real. Yeah, I'll be really quick. Good morning, Anita Jay. Thank you. Um, Melissa, she recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, um, two things that really jumped out at me. One is, um, yeah, who am I? Blank. You know, who am I to say? I could fill in, you know, put in anything. And it starts with, who am I to say there is no God? You know, um, because evidence of the way I was living um, told me that I really couldn't make any determination what there was accurately. You know, one of the questions I kind of ask, ask myself on a daily basis, you know, who am I to say that I know best for anybody or anything when I had difficulty knowing how much food to put in, in my mouth? Um, you know, so that kind of jumped out at me. And the other thing was how he pointed out, how this man pointed out um, that if there was a God, you know, he hadn't done much for me and pointing out all the things that um, were painful in his life. And I could certainly relate to that. But just in that very question alone, I realized I did believe in something. I was just mad at it. And, um, and so this power is so wonderful. 
like a loving parent, it's big enough to even handle my anger. You know, so if you're mad at God, we're safe to be angry at God, too. You know, this power can still save us even if we're angry at it. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Melissa. Uh, All right, everybody. Thank you to everybody who shared. Please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And today's share ID, today Friday, 7 a.m. meeting, June 16th, is 10,048. 10048. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164. And we will have Lauren N. And I am so sorry because I thought I, whatever, I forgot I was supposed to do this. So (laughs) I, Lauren N. And our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize only a little God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your house, if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you.